I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles this, this afternoon to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Our theme is 2020, Vision 2020. And uh, we're looking at Matt, book of Acts chapter 20. And uh, I'd like us to read uh, this uh, exhortation that Paul gave to the elders of Ephesus, starting at verse 17. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to, get, come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, bound in, in spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Our Father, we want to thank you for your word. We thank you for Shepherd's Conference this year, and thank you for these men that are here to listen to your word. And thank you, Lord, for saving our souls through the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and allowing us to experience the work of the Spirit of God in regeneration. And thank you for allowing us to now sit before your word, and may you Encourage us, remind us of this high task of winning people to Christ. Pray all these things for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you can tell, I, uh, I wore glasses, and I've worn them almost all my life. But not all my life, almost all my life. At the age of uh, about 20, uh, about 20 I, was in, uh, I was in college, and I had not worn glasses up to that time. And I was in the library, and one of my buddies, my, one of my roommates, took his glasses off, put them on the table. So I reached over, and I just, you know, took his glasses and put them on. We're in the library now. And everything came alive. <laughs> I said, Wes, there are people here. And there's books. <laughs> and at that moment, I realized that I, I was blind. I was, I was living a blind life. And I didn't know that because when I was growing up, we never, no, we never had eye tests. So all these years, I thought that somehow, you know, I just got accustomed to that. And that day, I went over and got my first pair of glasses, and everything just came alive. Now I could drive the freeways <laughs> and, and, and see the off-ramps way before they happened. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it was an incredible experience. Uh, so you can, you can be blind and somehow get used to it. You could be nearsighted and not know what's happening out there. And, and so that can happen to us 
when it comes to evangelism, we can, we can be out of focus. Instead of having 20-20 vision when it comes to evangelism, we can be out of focus. And that can happen to any one of us. It can happen to us in ministry. We can be involved in ministry for a long time and somehow lose focus of what God has called us to do. And this afternoon, what I purpose to do with us together is just to have vision 2020 from the Apostle Paul in this text, Acts 20, verse 20. Interesting. In Acts 20, verse 20, he focuses on the main task, the task of evangelism. That's why he says here, for I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's amazing, amazing that we as churches can lose focus on evangelism. As ministers, we can lose the focus on evangelism. Uh, we can be in seminary. Seminary, I taught here for 22 years, and it, it was incredible to rec recognize that even our own students had lost the vision they were nearsighted, focusing on other things and not on what they should be focusing on, on, on evangelism, on the Great Commission. So what I want to do this morning from this text is simply Paul reminding us of the main thing when it comes to evangelism, that we have the proper vision, 2020, and see things the way God would like us to see them. And so we want to correct the focus. I'm nearsighted, so when I went and got my eyes, my eyes corrected, you see, if I take my glasses off, everything disappears. But I can still read because I'm still focused on, on, on what's up front. And so we need to adjust our focus so that we know exactly what God would like us to do in ministry. And evangelism is one of the things that God has for us to do. So I want to just simply have, us, have our focus readjusted for some of us. Others of us need a total redo of our entire eyesight, maybe one or two of us here, but the bulk of us simply readjusting our focus. And there's four areas. Uh, no, we, we, let me just back it up for just a few moments. The um, urgency of this matter of evangelism. Uh, gentlemen, we still have a, a world that is unreached. Our world is unreached. We have seven billion people on this planet. Half of them, half of them, have not even heard the name of Jesus Christ the way we know it. So we have a, a world that is out there, seven billion of them, and as we have this virus, uh, you know, this threat of the virus, the fact that many of these may die in the next few days and next few months without ever hearing about Christ. We also have unreached nations. We, uh, we come from, most of us here come up from, we're from America. And America is an unreached nation. If you're in California, you know it's unreached. <laughs> okay? This is like totally, totally pagan culture. And so we re recognize the urgency. We come from, many of us, unreached communities. Now, if you're from the Bible Belt and other places like that, there's a church in every corner. But many of us come from areas where there are no churches. And the churches that do exist really are not Christian churches. They are simply buildings with names on them, but they're dead and, and gone. Some of us, unfortunately, come from stagnant churches. The average American assembly, average American church is either stagnated or in decline. Our major denominations are in decline numerically. And so we, 
We as pastors sometimes pastor churches that are either plateaued or are in decline. And the solution, the solution is basically refocusing, getting back to the main thing. And the main thing is, has to do with the text that's before us. And it's four areas, four areas that Paul would bring to our attention here, and God would bring to our attention that we need to be refocusing. The first of these is the biblical mandate, the mandate that, that we're called to evangelize the world, the, the mandate. And Paul begins here. He's talking to the Ephesian, to the Ephesian elders. This is the backdrop. He's talking to the Ephesian elders, a church that he founded in one of his missionary journeys. Went and spent three years, three years in Ephesus preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Chapter 18, chapter 19, devoted himself there at Ephesus, the school at Tyrannus, for two whole years preaching the gospel, so much so that it says, and all Asia heard about Jesus Christ. See, that's the mandate. The mandate. The mandate is given to us five times in the Word of God. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts tells us that our calling then is to go and disciple all the nations. We're to go and preach Christ to every what? Every creature. Every creature. We are to be witnesses for the Lord, solemnly testifying to the Lord, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to L.A., remotest parts, <laughs> remotest parts of the earth, okay? I mean, this is, this is the Great Commission. And Paul, in his emphases, reminded us of that. The focus is to preach the gospel, to preach the gospel. The mandate begins with the preaching of the gospel, declaring, declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ to people. And he spent, he spent that time preaching the gospel. And we can, see, we can preach the word. We can say we're preaching the word and, and, yet, and yet not preach the gospel. Uh, we, we spent, I spent 22 years in this room and down in the, in the dungeon downstairs, preaching, teaching, preaching. And the guys would preach and, and be done with 30-minute sermons. And I would say, I would say, let's stop for just a moment, gentlemen. Where's the blood? Where is the blood in your sermons? There was no blood. You, don't, you, you didn't talk about Christ. You didn't talk about the atonement. You didn't talk about the gospel. And then provide an opportunity from the text to invite sinners to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. So you can preach, you can preach the word and not preach the gospel. We could take note of that. And Paul would remind us here that I was with you the whole time, and my emphasis was in preaching the gospel, bringing men and women to repentance and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. It, it involves preaching the gospel to every creature. Paul reminds us that it's to disciple the nations, that everybody here, uh, Paul says here, I, 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 to, to Jews and to Greeks, our obligation is to reach the nations, all the nations, everybody. You know, in America, in America, Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, is the most segregated hour in America. 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, we are all in our little cubby holes preaching to our own kind. And yet the gospel means that we need to be preaching to all the nations, anybody out there, to be reaching cross-culturally to those around us. And we are, in America, we have, we have ceased to be a, a white Anglo-Saxon nation. We are not that anymore. We have all the nations that have come 
like it or not, they are here. And many of these don't even know our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're in California, the Hispanics are in the process of the, what they call the reconquest of California. Okay? <laughs> and, and so this, uh, this whole issue, this whole issue of the gospel, think about your churches, think about your communities. Are we reaching our ta- ethnes? Are we reaching the ethnic groups that surround us? Or are we not? You know, back in, 19, back, back in 1990, I went, through, I went through San Fernando Valley. Uh, our, my passion is to plant, plant Hispanic churches. We have a Hispanic community. And I knocked on, on dozens of church doors here of Anglo churches, just asking them, would you be open to allowing us to rent, borrow, use your facility to reach the Hispanic culture for our Lord Jesus Christ? I didn't have one pastor say yes to me. Not a one of them. You see, we, we're infected with loss of focus. We think that God only calls us to certain types of people, either brown people or white people or red people or yellow people. And we're not. We're called to reach the nations for Christ. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all the, finish it, of all the nations, ethne. And so the, the burden is for us to think about that. And so we can, we can be successfully in our churches we can have a good, we call it a good, healthy church. But what about the ethne around us? And every, almost every one of us in, in, in America and other places that have church buildings can be utilizing those, maximizing them to reach other people for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we need to think about that. And, and the whole issue of, of, the great, of the Great Commission, the mandate, is also involves the whole idea of planting churches. I mean, Ephesus was a church plant of the Apostle Paul, one of many that he did. And so he's writing to the Ephesians and saying to them, this, is, this was my mandate. My mandate was to be with you all for three years. And the purpose was to establish a, 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 a growing, reproducing church in Ephesus that I could leave it and I could say to you, I don't need to come back. Matter of fact, I'm not coming back. I'm not coming back, but you're established, and your job is then is to continue planting other churches in Asia. And so the mandate for us, as we think about this mandate, is for you and I to be involved in the planting of other churches, either in our own cities, in our own state, in our own nation, and in other nations as well. Now let me ask you, in your, in your ministry, have you planted other churches? Let me ask you, are you thinking of planting other churches? Let me ask you, are you planning to plant another church? In other words, are we adjusting our focus? Because you see, the Great Commission is a great what? It's a great commission. It's not a suggestion. It's not like, well, you know, Montoya, you don't, you don't know our church. I mean, we're just, we're struggling. We have a, you know, we have a, you know, a couple hundred people barely making our budget, and uh, and you know we uh, we're just hanging on for dear life. We, no one no one's excused. No one's excused. When my my wife and I were newlyweds. We we'd visit my grandma, and she'd ask us. Uh, you know, she's Hispanic. She'd say, "Well, uh, yeah, do you have any kids? Are you gonna have any kids?" And we'd laugh. Oh, oh, grandma, grandma, we're too poor to have kids. We're too poor to have kids. And then God broke that one. 
<clears throat> we had kids and we didn't expect them. You know what I'm saying? They came and we were like broke, broke. But so you can be broke and still have kids. Your church can be dying and still reproducing itself. Talk to me now. You see, in other words, there's no excuses. No one is exempt from the Great Commission. Nobody. It's a commandment that's given to us. And so we need to refocus on what I call the Great Commandment. And we can get off of that. We think that somehow it's somebody else's responsibility. It's for missionaries. It's for evangelists, but not for us. No, it's for you too. Every last one of us. There's a second area of refocusing. And I call this the refocusing I want to call the message, refocusing on the biblical message. The Apostle Paul made it very clear, very clear in verses 20 and 21, teaching you publicly from house to house, testifying, verse 21, solemnly, both Jews and Greeks, repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then look at verse 24. He says, solemnly testifying of the gospel of the grace of God. <laughs> We're always, we're always in the danger of changing the message. There's always a tension of changing the message. In our, you know, in our discussions this week, you know, the, the evangelicals in America changing the message, now being involved in more of a social gospel, caring for the needs of American people, poverty and, and drug abuse and things like that. But, you know, those, they're out there. Those problems are there. But the social gospel never replaces the gospel of the grace of God. It never replaces it. Now, you know the story of the book of Acts. By Acts chapter 6, the great temptation came to change the message. Do we now devote ourselves to, to waiting on tables, to caring for the widows and the orphans and the poor? Do we change our emphasis now from preaching the gospel to the unsaved to caring for the needy people? What was the answer to that question? No. No, we cannot neglect the preaching of the word to serve tables. Serving tables is important, and it is a ministry of the church of God, but it is not the main thing. The main thing should always be the main thing. And the main thing is the preaching of the gospel. And if we're not careful, we can get off of that and put our energies and our resources on what is not the main thing. Now, friend... Not that I have a cold heart, because I don't. Great compassion for people that are hurting. Great compassion for those that are poor. We minister in L.A. You know, among the poorest of the poorest, among those that are gangbangers, among those that are drug addicts, and all the stuff that goes on with it. But I've, I've also realized that the main thing is always the preaching of the gospel. It's like the, mission, this, the fellow from Africa sent a message to the missionary. He said, surely we are here in Africa. And we need food, and we need clothing, and we need medicine. But either way, we're going to die. Bring us Christ. Bring us Christ, because either way, we're dying. And that's the main thing. So we're reminded that we ought not change. Let's not change the message. Make sure that it's always the main thing. We're always preaching the gospel of the grace of God. The gospel of the grace of God, as you know, is that message that emphasizes the incarnation of God. The word became what? Flesh. It emphasizes the atonement. For all have sinned and fall short of the, glory, of the glory of God, comma, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is found 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. The solution to verse 23 is verse 24, the atonement. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, I declared to you as of first of the most important, the gospel, that Christ died for our, what? Sins. That's the gospel. And the message of the grace of God is for you and I to focus. Paul would say, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God, finish it, for salvation. And so the power is in the gospel, you know, declaring the gospel of the grace of God. Temptation is to change that. And there's been some changes to that. Now, Paul reminds us that the, the essence in 2020 vision is the essence of gospel preaching is obviously the gospel of grace that involves repentance. It involves repentance. So he declares it carefully here that he, he talked about repentance, testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God. Gospel preaching always brings about a call, an appeal to repentance, a revealing. We, uh, we've fallen on hard times in America. We're preaching a message of easy believism. You know, just kind of nod your head or in your nose or raise your hand or whatever, and, and all of a sudden now you're saved. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's beyond that. We have, we have so much what I call twinky preaching. You know, it's all this feel good and, you know, Band-Aid stuff. Every, every morning when I go to church, in the first pew where I sit, there's always a bottle of water and a Twinkie waiting for me right in the front pew. <laughs> I, I, is, is somebody telling me I'm a Twinkie preacher? Or, or, they know, or do they know that I love Twinkies? You know what I'm saying? I hope it's the latter. But gentlemen, we've, we've been infected by this Twinkie preaching where we're not preaching a gospel that is sin-killing, soul-saving, and life-transforming. And so it, it means we need to. We need to involve and, and, and call you know, people to repentance and awareness of sin and alienation from God. And, and then, and then that, that's part of the gospel of the grace of God. You know, Dale Moody was a great evangelist. And one day he was walking down the streets of Chicago and some drunk stumbled out of a tavern. And he recognized Moody and he goes, hey, Moody, Moody, look, I'm one of your disciples. And Moody turned back and said, you're one of my disciples, but not one of Jesus' disciples. <laughs> and we need, to, we, need to, we, we need to call people out in the churches. If it looks like a duck and walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, what is it? The born-again Christian. No, it's not. It's a duck. And we have folks in our churches that quack, look, and walk like ducks. And we bless them. And we ought to just damn them to hell because they're not repentant. Am I making sense? That's, that's a problem with our churches. We have people that are unsaved, and you know they're unsaved, and yet we do nothing about it. A gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is a gospel of, that calls for repentance. It doesn't call for a change of life because it can't change your life. But it's an awareness of, of my rebellion, of my sinfulness, of my alienation that I do need God, that's what it means. And then we present the gospel of faith, faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, where you put, you put forth the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of faith. Let's not overreact and change the message. Make it easy to believe him, that's not what it's about. But let's not add to it either. In reaction against this other thing, we don't want to add to that. We're not preaching a gospel of works. 
And we know the, the apostles and the church, they went through that. Acts 15, big discussion. Are we saved by the law? The answer is what? No. no. Are we saved by works? What's the answer? No. no. It's all by faith. Faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why it's always was a simple, simple declaration. What must I do to be saved? Remember the Philippian Jew. What must I do to be saved? What's the answer? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And see, it's that simple faith. And some of us, I hope not too many of us, are changing even the message and overreaction. You know, we're, we're, we're adding to it. We're adding works to it. And we cannot do that. And then to, to push back against easy believism, we're, we're adding works to this stuff. Writing, writing that they show us first they changed life before they can put their faith in Christ. That was never done in the early church. It was always by salvation, by grace through faith. And then, in a genuine conversion, there came a regeneration. And so let's be careful. And some of us Calvinists, even we've added election to the gospel message. Where did that come from? I, I can't invite you to Christ because I don't know if you elect. And I would not be sincerely presenting Christ to you because I don't know you elect, so I can't invite you to heaven because I don't know if you're really elect or not. I'm elect, but you don't look elect. <laughs> Friend, read the text. Read the text. They never did that. It was always a simple message of redemption. It was so simple that in Acts 10, in Acts 10, when Peter was preaching there and explaining the gospel, he never got to the invitation. They came to Christ. They messed up a sermon. <laughs> but the third point, they were already getting saved and being baptized by the Spirit of God. Figure that one out, people. So listen, let's not change the message. Let's keep it simple and preach the pure gospel of the grace of God. Thirdly, thirdly, think about this other refocusing, refocusing on our, on our, on our methodology, our methodology. There's a sense where we need to be thinking about even methodology. And Paul, again, I, we just thank the Apostle Paul, how he, he makes ministry so easy, simplifies it for us. Look at the text with me. Look at the text in verse 20. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. I, I preached to you, he says, the whole counsel of God. In preaching the message, we not only emphasize the gospel of Christ, but we're also concerned with closing the back door, and that is declaring, you know, the whole counsel of God, everything that God has for us. Like Jesus says, once you baptize them, once you made them converts, when you disciple the nations, and then teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, the whole thing. And so we are, we are involved in, in, in helping the believer grow in the things of God and close the door so that they stay and become part of a thriving, thriving assembly. But Paul also says, listen, this is what I did when I was with you. I, I, was, I was teaching you publicly and from house to house. It's an amazing statement. Preaching publicly and from house to house. We usually end up fighting over methodologies. Well, this method and that method and this style and this style. And, 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 and somehow, we, 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 there may be wrong methods. And there are some wrong methods. If we're, using, if, the, if we're using the end to justify the means, something's wrong there. Something's wrong there. 
We're using ungodly means to bring about conversion of souls. That's an oxymoron. That's a contradiction. And so methods. But again, we lose focus because then we have no methods. Well, I don't like your method, Montoya. I don't like your method. I don't like that method. I don't like that method. Okay, so what is your method? Well, I don't have a method. I just allow the Spirit of God to do its thing. (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) Paul had a method. It was very simple. What was it? Preaching publicly and? Interesting. If you have to begin, begin there. Publicly and from house to house. Hmm? In other words, this is, this is the methodology that Paul began. And it's very interesting because publicly means you want to cast the net as wide as possible. That's preaching publicly. Peter preached to a large crowd. Acts chapter 2, of that crowd, 3,000 were converted. Later in the the following chapter, chapters, he preached another crowd. In that crowd, 5,000 were converted. In a few days, the Jerusalem church grew from 120 to what? 8,000 people. 8,000 people. And those, those are the ones that they knew. In other words, publicly, publicly. Fortune magazine had an article this this month. It says there that 50% of the people in this world live in megacities. Megacities. Shanghai, Tokyo, you know, Buenos Aires. Huge cities of 12 million, 30 million people. 50% of the population of this world lives in megacities. We have to learn how to win mega cities to Christ. Gentlemen, look at that. We have to learn to win the mega cities to Christ. Even though you may be in a small little town in New York of 10,000 people, 20,000 cows, and 50,000 cats, but you've got to be thinking about the mega cities that they need Christ. And we need to prepare to know how to preach the gospel in a public fashion to cast the net as wide as possible for the glory of God. We don't think about that. And we need to be thinking about that. And Paul would say, when I went, so Paul, you follow him. He always went to the large centers, went to the large places to get the widest, widest reception to the gospel. And we need to be thinking of that. Now, God's gonna, God may call us to a small town. It's okay. But the Great Commission means we send someone to the big town. And we start praying for the big town and the mega cities and win them to Christ. Methodology involves us doing something like that. It means that, gentlemen, in the, in the preaching of the gospel, we need to learn how to preach the gospel even in our pulpits. In our pulpits. Unfortunately, sometimes we, we lose our focus by thinking that somehow church is only for Christian people. Our job is simply to expound the text and preach to God's people. And we don't bother with those that come that do not know Christ. We don't stop and preach, preach the gospel in the public fashion to people that are there. And so we don't get accustomed to becoming evangelists as we're also becoming great expositors of God's word. And yet if we're going to be doing the job right, it means that all of us need to become also public evangelists and use your pulpits. Use your pulpits. Here in California, we're blessed. 
We're blessed in California because in California, nobody goes to church unless they really want to go to church. Even the, even the pastors don't go to church if they don't have to. <laughs> but in California, they don't. I mean, we have all this competition. We have, we have mountains. We have snow up there. We have, we have the greatest beaches ever. We have these great deserts. We have malls. We have all the amusement parks. No heathen should ever put his filthy face in a church. <laughs> and yet they do. Yeah, do. I'll say Sunday morning, uh, we'd like to welcome uh, those that are here for the very first time. If you're here for this, for this your first time here, would you please stand? And they stand up. 10, 15, 20 people stand up. These are stone heathens. They look like heathens, they smell like heathens. And they even act like them, you know what I'm saying? But they're heathens, and I'm so glad. And why do that? Because I, it just whets my appetite. It's a rearranging the message. Putting some, put, take my gun out and put some gospel bullets in there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, we're going to do some, we're going to do some soul winning here this morning. You know, we're going to park it here. I don't care where we're at. We've been in the middle of a, a stewardship campaign. We've been, you know, 16 reasons to tithe. And here's a 17th reason. It's 17th. Reason. I'm talking to you pagans. <laughs> God don't want your money. He wants your soul. I'm talking to you now. Look at me now. You know, and I'll talk to them about, and then invite them to Christ. We don't do that anymore. We're, we're so paralyzed by the extreme that we don't even give invitations anymore. We're like frozen. Wonder we're dying. You need to fish. Like Jesus says, you need to cast your net down into the deep and draw out a net. And then he says the other one is house to house. House to house. Focusing on the individual. Then no one is excluded. House to house includes a careful presentation of the gospel. That everyone gets to hear the gospel at least one time. At least once. That's, that's methodology. They, ask, they even asked Billy Graham, if you had a choice, Dr. Graham, between preaching the gospel to one soul or to a stadium full of people, which would you choose? He said, I would choose to preach the gospel to one soul. Interesting. Because then you're sure. Because then you're sure. See? And so house to house means talking to individuals, making sure that everybody gets to hear the gospel at least one time. Gentlemen, some of our churches are dying. They're dying. You haven't had a, haven't had a conversion in who knows how long. You haven't filled a baptismal tank. You look at the, your baptismal tank, there's broken chairs in there, old hymnals, and a dead cat. And this hasn't been filled with water. You haven't, you haven't baptized a soul ever for a while, for a long time. Two years. How can you sleep? How can you call yourself a shepherd? You ought to be like that the great English preacher that said, God, give me souls or I die. In other words, friend, you need to get out and knock on some doors. You need to get out and do it. Well, I'm going to tell you, it, it, it doesn't work. Friend, when you're desperate, you've got to try anything. Go and knock on some doors. Get out there. Beat the bushes. That's what Jesus taught us. In the highways and byways. Beat the bushes. Knock on some doors. Get out there. And if you're like this guy, 
Calvinistic. They're out there already. Go find them. I thought I was Go find them, see? Yeah, and if you're Arminian like this guy, you know, you have to do it. How can you let your churches die and you don't know who's out there knocking some doors? If you're a real estate agent, when you get desperate, you go door to door. You take your cards and you pass them out to all Folks, you want to sell your house? Here, my, here's my card. You call me now. You call me. And so it is. Gentlemen, you can't. You can't let your churches be dying. You can't let them be stagnant. you got to mobilize your people. And God says, let's get out there and preach the gospel. So let me ask you, preacher, how, how's your gospel gun? Show me your gospel gun. How many notches are there? How many folks have you led to Christ and you've marked them? Well, you know, Montoya, I just don't keep track. You know why? Because you don't do anything. <laughs> hmm? Yes or no? Yeah? So let's, let's, let's do some. Let's get focused. And let's get concerned about, you know, adopt some method. These simple ones and there's others that you can utilize. All for the honor and glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. I was flying to Brazil not too long ago, and I said in the airplane, airplane and and, and started talking to this guy, and he's in, he's, he has a ministry using the Internet. He's part of a, a worldwide group of people, believers, using the Internet to win people to Christ. He said, we're everywhere. We have these, we preach the gospel out there. We have lessons to give them. That's what we do. We came to LA to have a, have a conference here. Blew me away. Listen, listen, it's all types of methods to be used for the glory of God. Find something, make it work. And then, number four, think about our motivation. Motivation. Some of us have just, we're out of gas. We, there's no motivation. We, we've lost our focus. We're evangelism, winning people to Christ, isn't on the radar. It isn't, it is, it isn't anything that motivates us. We don't desire it. There's nothing in it for us. That sometimes the motivation is wrong. And notice Paul, when he writes in this, 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 this section here, he weaves through what really motivates him to be out doing what he, what he needs to do. That's why, as you read through it, as you read through it, verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears and trials, which came upon me, through the plot of the Jews. Uh, gentlemen, if we're not careful in America, especially in established, established churches in other countries, we can lose the proper motivation. We can do it for glory, to just build churches because of us. Or because we don't have any results, we just quit. We don't want to be embarrassed. We're embarrassed, so we, we look at other places. Well, you know, Montoya, we have a healthy church. We're a deep church. We go into the Greek and Hebrew and the Spanish. We're really deep. <laughs> yeah, but how many folks have you baptized? Well, we don't count. We don't worry about those things. How many folks have you added to the church? Well, you know, we don't, we've, had a, we've had an exodus of those that were not deep enough. You know, these half in, half out. We have the chosen few and the frozen too. And so here, friend, 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 friend. There's some pride in that thing. And safety. Safety, evangelism can be hazardous to your health. And Paul says, you know, this job was hazardous to me. There are plots against me. 
Every place I went, they didn't like the message and they persecuted me. It's, you know, it can be dangerous, people. Door to door isn't like, it isn't like jumping up and down like a little monkey. It's just scared stiff. Preaching the gospel is frightening. For me, it's frightening. Because you can, you can, we had a guy in East LA, gang infested East LA. We sent our teams, you know, to go evangelize the, the, the ghetto, you know, and we sent them everywhere. And this guy went out knocking on some doors and knocking, and then as he came out, a couple of gangbangers came up. They pulled the switchblade and they put him right to, right to his neck. Say, where are you? Where are you from? He goes, uh, I'm from nowhere. No, where are you from? I'm from nowhere. No, where are you from? I want to sicken your neck. He says, I'm a, I, be, I belong to First Fundamental Bible Church, and I came here to preach Christ to people. Now, before you kill me, let me tell you about Jesus. <laughs> and the guy said, yeah, okay, put the knife away. You're good, you're good. And let him go. Let him go. I was afraid, you, 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 can't be a, you can't be afraid. It's going to be hazardous. And you can't do it for money. Paul later on writes, he said, you know, I, I, didn't, I desired no money, no gold, no silver, no costly garments, no, four, no 401k. I wasn't there for a high salary. I was there to preach Christ to you. And fellows, we have a thing, this, uh, this coronavirus isn't the ugliest thing in America. It's this covetousness among the ministry. For a guy to lose his job because he, they won't pay him a million dollars, something wrong there, people. And you know who I'm talking about. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. We don't have men want to go into the ministry because it doesn't pay enough. We don't want to do, get out there and, 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 and be missionaries because, well, there's no money in it. Friend, we never do it for money. We don't, we don't reach souls for Christ. We don't get paid to it. My philosophy is if they don't pay you to preach, then you pay to preach. Uh, the opportunity to preach Christ to people. Make sure that our motivation is right. Adjust your focus. Make your motivation is right. What is the right motivation? First of all, a love for souls. A love for people. So Paul says here, I was with you the whole time with tears. With tears. Imagine that. People weeping for these lost souls. Let me ask you, sir, brother, when was the last time you wept for lost people? When was the last time you parked your car next to a public high school and wept for those teens coming out of that school? When was the last time you went to the red light district in your town and you wept for those people? When was the last time you went on Saturday night and sat in the front up on stage in your auditorium and looked out there? And wept for people in your church that you know are unsaved. It's the love for people that motivates you to be out there talking to folks about Christ. If you don't love them. And that's what moved Jesus. Mark, Matthew chapter 9. He was moved with compassion because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. And so he, he says, this is what has to be done. And so it's it's the love for people that's important. Notice also, secondly, obedience. Obedience. In verse 24, he says, but I didn't consider my life of any account as dear to myself. No. So that I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus Christ. I am under commission, people. 
He said to the Ephesians, I'm under commission. Christ sent me out. And he gives his testimony at least two or three times in the book of Acts. And in, in front of the king, after he said, he said, King, I did not prove disobedient to this vision. I obeyed it. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, I, for me, it's a stewardship. If I preach the gospel because I want to preach it, I desire, there's a reward for me. But if not, I do it because I have to. I have to. You're going to set aside a, a day in your ministry during the week, and you're going to go out and just knock on doors and win people to Christ. Sometimes you're going to want to do it. Sometimes you're going to have to do it. And if your wife knows about it, even within Spanish, she'll pack you a lunch, and then she'll kick you out and say, get out there and don't come home until you're done eight hours knocking on doors and talking to souls about Christ. That's what it, it's obligation. We do it because we have to. It's an obligation, not just obedience, but also an obligation. That's why Paul here reminds us, I am innocent of the blood of all men. I'm innocent. He's going back to Ezekiel. If you're on the wall and you're, and you're the guy that blows the trumpet to warn the city, and if you don't blow the trumpet and the enemy comes and takes the city, the blood of these people are in your hands. But if you blow that trumpet, even though nobody obeys you, you blow the trumpet, they may be punished, they may be destroyed, but your hands are what? Your hands are clean. And so it, it means that. We're under obligation. Paul says in Romans, I am a debtor. I'm indebted to both what? Jews and Greeks. I'm a debtor to them. I owe, I owe to them to preach Christ to them. And so, friends, there's a sense where Paul says, I'm at this thing because I'm under obligation. I'm a debtor. I have to do it. These people, that's why we're there. Wherever you're at, people need Christ. And you owe it to these people. You owe it to these people to preach Christ to them. So let's make sure we have the proper motivation and get out there and with that passion. I recall years ago going door to door in East L.A. and came across this guy working on an old, one of the, you know, these little fancy old cars and working there and they're changing spark plugs and started talking to this young man and talking about Christ and looking over the motor with the light on and he was changing spark plugs and I shared Christ with him, how Christ died for his sins and all that. Went through the whole spiel and I said, you know, would you like to receive Christ? He said, oh, no, no. I don't want to do it. So I, we kept on talking some more about the car and brought back the gospel, shared Christ with them some more, etc. Now, would you like to receive Christ? He goes, no, 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 no. I said, okay, I'm leaving now. I'm leaving now. And so he stopped and looked at me. I said, uh, do me a favor. Don't die. <laughs> don't die, because if you die, you'd go to hell. And you know that. I give the message to you. I'm impressed. I beg you to receive Christ. You know you're a sinner. You know Christ died for you. There's nothing more I can do to you. So do me a favor. Don't die. Because if you die, you're going to hell. I'll see you. And then I took off. <laughs> I left them there. Well, that was, like, that was like during the week. And then I was preaching on a, on a Sunday night. And then I was preaching away. I said, there was, the door was open. There was a guy in the foyer Pacing back and forth. And then when I got done preaching, I went out to, and it was him. It was him. I said, hey, what are you doing here? He says, I haven't slept at all since you spoke to me. 
I don't want to die. I came here to receive Christ. Amen. And as he came to Christ. Friend, you need to be in earnest. You need to be in earnest. And this afternoon, we've taken our, our vision and refocused it. Amen? Amen? Now let's go out and find someone to preach to. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for saving us. Help us now to love the, love the lost and to have compassion for them. And we know, we know the way. Help us to share with them. You, you go before us. Prepare the hearts. And Lord, may we be the messenger, those that bring good tidings of great joy. Bless these men. Bless their churches. Bless their people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.